I'm your host, Madeline, and welcome to The Courageous Podcast, where you will hear inspirational stories of everyday people who will share how they found strength, hope, and faith in the midst of adversity. Let's get ready to be inspired. Today I have Taina Luz Coyaso. She grew up in Humboldt Park and now resides in downtown Chicago. She's been happily married to her husband and best friend for the last 17 years. Taina is a part-time paralegal, a full-time mother to two young adults, and a preteen. She's the oldest of three siblings, a daughter to Elliot and Luz Coyaso, whom she misses every single day. In her spare time, she writes, reads, works out, posts encouragement for Redefined Women's Ministry. Uh, You sound really, really busy, (laughs) (laughs) Baina. Welcome to the Courageous Podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm definitely a huge fan of the work that you're doing through this podcast. Oh, amen. Thank you. To God be the glory. This has been an amazing journey and just being able to connect with people you know, from all walks of life and all backgrounds has truly been a blessing to me. So you and I were connected through uh, Valerie Sanchez, which was just on the Courageous Podcast on season two, episode 24. And so she said, hey, I have someone that has a tremendous story too, and I'd love for you to connect with her. And we had a great conversation. And I said, wow, this woman is strong. Like, like, man, like she is not wavering whatsoever. And so I felt like this story, although the content might be very familiar to people, but I felt it was a story that we needed to tell because I wanted to shine the light on the strength that God can give anyone to get through any adversity. And you truly exemplify strength and courage and what that is. And so take me back, Diana, to the things that you remember about you know, your family, your parents as you were growing up. My parents, they always had a great relationship. I remember them hosting, entertaining. They were really good at that. My father was very spontaneous, would take us to the park in the middle of the week and load up the kids from the block. And it was just great, great memories of them being together and laughing and having great conversations and dancing. Unfortunately, they divorced when I was about five years old and went through a bit of a riff. They divorced because my father finally accepted that he was gay. And when he told my mom, obviously my mom was very hurt and uh, traumatized. My sister was not even a year old. So here she was going to be a single mom of two little girls and realizing that her best friend had lied to her all this time because I do believe they were very good friends. There was a break in between and then they were able to come back together and forgive one another, forgive my dad and co-parent and become really good friends again. I mean, my father used to get my mom ready for dates. He would blow dry her hair. He would pick out outfits. I mean, <laughs> they when they got back into the groove of being friends and co-parents, they went right back. You know, it was as if outside of the romantic side, everything else flowed beautifully. Mm. I did live with my dad briefly for about a year when I was 12 and came back home. My mom was pregnant with my brother And once she had my brother, I really felt like I wanted to be back home. I wanted to be around him. I missed my mom's nurturing and all that. And my father found out at the exact same time that I was telling him, okay, I think I'm going to come back and live with mom. 
he found out that he was HIV positive. I was 13 years old, just going into eighth grade. And I remember him being very emotional and it being a very, very long conversation on the phone when he told me. I mean, HIV is still impacting many, many people and many families, you know, for all these years. And obviously, in, I mean, in 1991, that was something that was um, in the forefront of everyday life, similar to, you know, what we're going through now with coronavirus. Yeah, it was one of those things that was very new and scary. And you kind of assumed anyone who had it could pass it to you. You weren't sure. So it was taking people out. So true. I mean, I was a teenager back then and my family was impacted by, you know, two family members that have HIV. And today they're still thankfully around and they're living really great lives. And I'm so grateful for that. So at age 13, did you understand, you know, what HIV was at the time? You know, I don't think I did. I think when you're that age, you're just very self-involved. I started to understand that as my father started to have complications. So if he caught a cold, he wasn't healing as quickly as someone who was not HIV positive. The Mm -hmm. gravity of his immune system became something that we were more concerned about. Well, I know many, many years later, your dad received you know, some difficult news and was diagnosed with cancer. Tell me a little bit about that journey for him. That was really scary. My oldest daughter was about four at the time and he was diagnosed. I remember him taking his hair into his own hands and feeling like, I'm going to chop off my hair. I'm not going to wait for chemo to take it. So he was very strong about it, but we were all very scared because of the fact that he had this predisposition of HIV. He had been a smoker for many, many years, and although it was not in his lungs yet, there was always the concern of the damage that was already done to his body. He got chemo treatment and radiation. He took a partial FMLA from work, so he was still working in administration at CPS and getting treatment very strong. I mean, he pushed through that like a champ and he beat it. He went into remission. He continued to work and he was a grandfather at that point. And my second baby came in 2009 and he was so proud of himself because we used to go work out when I was on maternity leave. We would work out almost every day together. Mm -hmm. And so proud of the fact that he didn't need to take the stroller because he was so buff he could carry her <laughs> from the car to the gym to mm-hmm. you know lunch and um, he was in really really good physical shape by 2009 2010 and then his cancer came back this time i think he may have ignored some of the signs and it had gotten worse than when they caught it the first time so the second time that he was diagnosed the only option that they were giving him was a life-changing surgery to mm-hmm. basically a colostomy bag. And it was going to forever change his daily routine, his hygiene. If anyone knew my father, they knew that he was Mr. GQ. He smelled good all the time. There was not mm-hmm. one hair out of place. He was matching from head to toe, even when he went to the gym. So telling him that he had to get a colostomy bag and get the surgery was definitely traumatic for him. And he hesitated to get it done, but eventually got it done and got chemo and radiation after the surgery. Mm -hmm. 
all the time that he's getting the second treatment, he's actually going through his second divorce, which was really, really ugly. They were not on speaking terms. It was just, it was awful. While we're getting him back on his feet, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in September of 2015. My goodness. Wow. I mean, I, I can't even imagine, you know, when you and I first talked about this, I was totally blown away. You know, your dad gets cancer, beats right. it, you know, it goes into remission, it comes back. He's doing everything possible to beat it. Then your mom gets diagnosed as well. You know, my first thought was shock, first of all, anger, because I was like trying to put myself in your in your shoes. And I thought, how could this even be happening at the same time? You know, what was your initial feeling when you received that news about your mom? Definitely the shock, definitely feeling like it just wasn't fair. I mean, here my mom was part of the team that was helping my dad through his treatment. Maybe in that is that reminder, right, that we as women and as mothers tend to care for everyone else before we care for ourselves. And it wasn't until she started to get some severe pain in her abdomen that she was like, wait, something's going on. And things progressed from there. So she just wasn't feeling well. The whole weekend, she was in pain. She goes to see her doctor. Her doctor does an ultrasound. And based on the reaction of the doctor from the ultrasound I was with her, we knew the gravity of it. The doctor was just hugging her immediately at the brink of tears. I'm so sorry, Lucy. I'm so sorry. And it was one of those that we were just kind of looking at each other because my mom was a very strong person as well. And We had been so consumed by taking care of my father that I don't think that it was almost like a shock. Like, is this really happening? Are we really having this conversation? Like, Mm -hmm. so they signed her up for chemo and she got through, I believe, two treatments. Even from the first visit, she was not able to get the full range of treatment because of her liver levels. So I believe she got through two treatments once a week and some of it was at home and we put her in hospice on a Sunday and she was gone by Monday. So she was in hospice, home hospice for maybe 24 hours. She did die peacefully. She had, my father was there. My sister was there. My uncle was there, her brother. So she was not alone. And our pastor had met with her the day before when she was still at the hospital And they were having their moment. I was kind of letting them talk and just listening. And I remember my mom looking at him so earnestly in his face and saying, I can't wait to see Jesus's face. Like she had this excitement about her that although she was so weak and so tired, she had made peace. I mean, she said it even with the diagnosis. She's like, it's not what the doctors say. It's not what we want. It's what God wants. Hmm. And she had this peace with knowing that she had no control over this situation. Right. You know, the only thing that she could do was cooperate with doctors. Okay, this is the treatment we want to do and hoping for more time. At the time, my brother was expecting his first baby and she was ecstatic to be a grandmother again. And so I think that we knew that all we were doing was buying time or she knew that. And it was a lot of peace around surrendering that illusion of control over when that moment comes. Obviously, the loss of of losing your mom is so difficult. Obviously, her strength through this whole thing was amazing. Being a support to your dad and now your dad being a support to her, that's pretty powerful. I can tell where you get your strength from. And so your dad is still battling cancer. How was he doing at that time? My dad stepped up big time. He felt that the loss of my mom, he needed to really be there for us. And my sister 
shortly after my mom's passing, was expecting a baby. So she has a little girl, Amelia, in December. And my father was able to be there up until my niece turned about one years old. And he was sent to home hospice. He started to have a lot of complications. The doctors pretty much said there was nothing else that they could do. And they sent him home to home hospice on one Friday. And he was gone by the following Friday at about six in the morning. So he lasted about a week in home hospice. And he passed away one day after my mom's two-year anniversary of her passing her homecoming. And he did express that he was hoping that my mother would be the one to greet him once he passed on from here. You know, when when I read those notes, you know, that one part that you said, I got very emotional when I, when I read that. Because even though they went through so much, they were still there together, battling together to the end. And the love that he had for her still was so amazing. When we first spoke, everything that kept flashing in my head was strength, strength, strength. And something you said that really touched me was, you know, your connection to the people who created you was gone. And now you felt like an orphan. How long did it take for you to accept that now your mom and your dad have passed away? I think I still struggle with understanding that they will not be here to witness certain things. I remember it being very difficult for me to process looking at a picture of them shortly after their passing and realizing, like, I can see this picture and it's like your head and your heart cannot register your, your head knows they're no longer here. Your heart does not want to accept it. Hmm. So I would have these moments where I look at them and almost like scoff, like, I can't believe they're gone. And just struggling with being able to see myself in this world without them. Right. Who am I if I'm not Elliot's daughter and Lucy's daughter? I remember having a moment when we moved into our building, there was a woman who knew my father. And it had been probably at this point, over two years since I lost my dad and we're on the elevator and she says, aren't you Elliot's daughter? And I remember having a moment for one brief moment. I almost said, no, I'm Robert's wife because that's how people usually know me in this building is Mm -hmm. Robert's wife and being crushed. When I walked in, I walked in just bawling my eyes out thinking for a split second, I was no longer identifying as Elliot's daughter. I had completely lost touch with being connected that way because my father was a teacher. So there was not a place that we didn't go, you know, we would go get ice cream. I was like, Mr. Goyaso. So Mm. people knew him and there was this connection of who I was in relation to him and the same thing with my mom. And I think that that's something that stays very foreign to you. I remember a friend telling me through the loss of my, my mom, I don't think my dad had passed yet. And she said, Death will never feel normal for us because our hearts were created for eternity. Mm. And I thought, okay, so, you know, those are the pieces that I feel like, yes, I feel like an orphan. I feel like I am lost without the guidance of my parents, the ongoing affirmation and love and support of my parents. But I also have to accept that I was kind of an orphan here anyway. We were all temporary residents of earth. You know, most people could easily, and I've, I've heard people talk about stories of loss and they've said, you know, I was 
angry for a short time. I was bitter. I had all these emotions. I isolated myself. And you did none of those things. So what was your motivation to push through this tremendous adversity? I think when you witness someone fight so hard physically and to to feel that their body's betraying them, my motivation was to push through to honor my parents' legacy, what they wish they could still do, how they wish they could still move and dance and carry their grandchildren, things like that. So I needed to live out in a way that would honor my health, honor my body, and carry out the simple pleasures that they could no longer do, being present for my children, being present for my siblings and their babies that Mm -hmm. didn't have grandparents around to hold them. My brother also lost his dad very young. So once he lost my mother, there were no grandparents Mm. for his boys. So there was an accountability for me to heal and to address my stuff without self-destructing, process my grief and have my moments, lean into God every single day. I have to connect with him every morning. And it's always been that way for me. God has always been my rock, my lifeline. When I've had the toughest moments, that's where I run to and that's where I drop. I have to. Amazing. Amen. So, so powerful. Um, If we only did that every single time, you know, a lot of times we tend to run to other things, but if we were to just run to God, we could bypass a lot of these self-destructive things that we do as people to kind of deal and cope with what life throws at us. And so looking back, is there anything that you think you could have done differently on this journey? I wouldn't change a thing. It was really, really hard to see them sick. It wasn't the greatest time in my life. But because, you know, your time is borrowed in a way, you savor moments together so much more. That time is slipping out of your hands and you just, you savor things different. It's almost like that last bite of something that you know you need to pay extra attention and be present for. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember taking both of them individually to Mm -hmm. to Mark Anthony. And the night that we took my mom, she wasn't feeling well. I took her to get her hair cut. And, but we had such a great time. We laughed so hard that night. We went with some cousins and my sister and we cuddled in bed when she was too weak to sit up. I remember showering her and laying in the bed and just crying and just having a moment of vulnerability with my mom who had been so strong. And it was beautiful to be able to nurture my mom a little bit back. I still listen. I've saved voicemails of her calling me baby because I'm the oldest sibling. So mm-hmm. I wasn't the baby of the family. I don't, I don't get that. So just hearing her say, hey, baby, how's your day going? Or, you know, give me a call when you get a chance. I listen to those voicemails. and It makes me feel connected again. It makes me feel seen again. Amen. And the same thing with my dad. We went to see Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony reminds me a lot of my dad. Very thin. I feel like they have very similar fashion styles and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I took my dad for his last pedicure. And I remember we would have this little thing that we would do where it was like, I love you more than the Diva chocolate. And I love you more than pizza and wine. And we were always trying to outdo each other. Like, what do we really (laughs) love that we could kind of, you know, it was like this little competition of how much we loved each other. My father was a very affirming person. He was a word person. He always knew what to say to just make you feel so beautiful and smart. And he would always tell me, I'm so proud of you. And you're such a good mother. Mm. Just everything that a daughter wants to hear, you know, that you want to feel seen in that way. I think women are just created in that way where 
we're not needy for compliments, but they make us flourish in a way that is very powerful. You know, just you saying that, you know, needing your father to affirm you and for women and for young girls is so important to have that man in their life that is their father to speak life into them and and to tell them, you know, all of the things that they need to hear that's from a person that loves them from a safe place. And so I'm so glad that he did that. You know, those are some of the things that I wish, you know, I could hear my dad say my dad is still living, but... I love when I hear other people say, hey, my dad said this or he did that or because I know how powerful those words are. And if somebody's listening and they haven't had those words of affirmation, I'm here to tell you it's okay because God sees you. He created you perfectly in his image and he loves you and he can affirm you in every way that you need and that's missing and remember that you know as you go through struggles in your journeys and you feel like hey i don't have a daddy well you know what you have a daddy and he loves you and remember that and so why do you think Diana it was important to share your story today i think it's important to share my story because so many of us are in a season of grieving we're dealing with a pandemic, COVID has taken lives and changed our lives. Even if you haven't lost someone to COVID, we've lost our sense of normalcy. And I think it's very similar. The grief that you feel, the loss that you feel, you're reminded of the threat to your health. I think that we're all in a fearful kind of state as well. Um, Life as we knew it has been lost and it just, it feels like grief. It's a loss of something and we're all processing it. It's important to encourage one another. And I think that by telling this story, I can encourage people to to say you're not alone in, in what you're feeling. Your sadness can be transformed into something. Loving and showing up for someone else, it can be transformed into service to love and support other people who are enduring the pain, who may have lost someone or lost a job or right. your sense of family. Someone that can say, me too, I understand your journey. I understand where you're at and hopefully make them feel less alone and less in the pit of despair. Hmm. Amen. I love that. That's so true. I mean, loss is loss and it comes in so many different forms and fashion. And that's great advice for anybody that's listening. If there's somebody that's listening right now, Diana, and they say, hey, I get this. I understand this. You know, I lost both of my parents instantly. I lost my parents when I was a little kid and I never got to have memories that I can look back on that I could share with my kids. You know, what would you say to them right now to encourage them? I would say tap into that strength. You have it. You just have to tap into it. You got to pray, write, cry, sing, dance, release it in the most productive and healthy way possible so that you're not adding hurt on top of hurt. Honor the person that you lost in a loving way that will pay homage to who they were and what they contributed to this world. A lot of times the people that we have lost that mean so much to us have started something that we can continue to carry through for them. And we can't do it if we are staying in our brokenness. We have to get to the other side and we have to be an active participant in our healing journey. That's right. Great advice, Diana. You know, you shared your own very personal and powerful quote with me, and I wanted to share it. And you said, our stories of survival become our service for other people so that it's not in vain. And 
That is so powerful. And you're right. Everything that we go through, you know, when we come out on the other side and we're stronger for it, hey, you know what? It was worth it, right? It was worth going through it because now we're better, we're stronger, but also we're helping other people on their journey and coming alongside them through what they're going through. I think when you and I talked, I had shared that I went through something with my mother-in-law and she had passed away. And the way that our life was, and you said, you know, you get used to doing everything every day for your parents, right? Taking care of them, doctor's appointments, this and that. And then when they're gone, it's like, oh my God, what do I do now? Have you gotten back some semblance of what your life was or is now? You know, what does your life look like today as Taina Goyaso? I definitely feel like I have finally started to feel a sense of myself again. Um, I've started to write again. I committed to writing a blog once a month. So that makes me feel like I'm starting to get into the groove of using that space to grow things that definitely were planted by my parents. So it's still honoring them, but getting into the flow and allowing myself permission to take care of myself, to see myself and to have an awareness I'm definitely also in a place where I can empathize with people in a different way. So when I have friends, I have a friend that lost her mom and I was able to show up for her and encourage her and someone who understood her pain. But definitely, I did go through a transitional time where my days off that were to serve my family in some way, where all of a sudden I almost didn't know what to do with myself. I definitely feel like I've tried to start to plan and look forward. And it's not the same as what I left behind. It's never going to be the same. Celebrations are not the same. Birthdays are not the same. Holidays are not the same. But I'm cultivating new traditions. I'm being intentional about traveling with my kids for Christmas so that we don't feel the depression of, oh, there's no grandparents here. You know what I mean? Or just those moments that become blaringly obvious that they're missing. You try to approach in a different way and celebrate in a different way, but still recognize that the beauty of that moment and being together. Amen. So, Diana, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You know, if there's somebody out there that says, hey, I've walked on the same journey or I understand what you've been through, I need some encouragement. You know, I'd love for you to kind of walk along with me. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about your blog. You know, how can people connect with you? They can connect with me through Instagram. My handle is uh, Taina Luz Rosa. I have my link to my blog in my bio so they can read my blog. They can connect through there and they can also connect with me through Instagram. Awesome. Well, Taina, I want to thank you. Thank you for being on the Courageous Podcast today. I pray blessings over you, your husband, your children, your entire family who has survived this tremendous loss, but thankfully they are thriving and rising above everything that they've been through. And so I pray that you continue to walk with other people, that you continue to use this blog and Who knows, maybe in the future, write a book about loss, but also about strength and hope so that you can help others. I thank you and God bless you. Hey, Courageous Community. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you were encouraged today. If you have a courageous story or want to connect with today's guest, email us at CourageousPodcast2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Courageous Podcast. Until next time, continue to be strong and courageous.